No leads after all in the Idaho college homicide case. Alec Murdoch gets life for an early Christmas gift. Scott Peterson gets life, not exactly what he was looking for. The Sam Bankman Freed Circus moves from the Bahamian Islands to the Southern District of New York. Another stolen baby Jesus. And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Good day. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. Thanks for watching. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't. Like if you do. Hit that little bell so you receive notifications when we go live or put up new content. And remember, you can always listen to us anytime you want on any of your favorite podcasting apps. Just simply type in Crime Talk with Scott Reich. All right, let's go ahead and get to the docket for December 21st, 2022. Can you believe the year is almost over? All right. Now, the Moscow Police Department have looked into the mystery car behind the uh, crashed Hyundai that was found in Eugene, Oregon, and the police believe there's no connection whatsoever of that case to the murdered college students. So now they're asking for people to stop hounding the actual car's owner. That's right. Now, yesterday we brought you the story, this whole thing about the Hyundai. It's abandoned there, no license plate. It's got to be good. Things are things are looking up. Maybe a break in the case. Turns out not the case. And if you joined us for our live program last night, we brought you the report, uh, the press release from the Moscow Police Department, and they're like, yeah, has nothing to do with it. We've spoken to the owner. The car is registered to somebody in Colorado, and they have no connection to the Idaho uh, case regarding the uh, four slain college students there in Moscow, Idaho. So the Moscow PD says that the department has spoken to the female owner of the white car found in Eugene, and she is not believed to have any relation to any property in Moscow, Idaho, and anything related to the investigations. As you may recall, the cops say the vehicle is registered in Colorado and was involved in a collision, subsequently being impounded. The Moscow police are specifically asking the public to stop contacting the owner. I get it. Everybody gets excited. But there is kind of technically one investigation going on, however slow it may be going, so they don't need to be bombarded by thousands of internet sleuths, so to speak. And this car came about because apparently somebody was sleeping inside of this car, even though it looks like it was obviously been in an accident and abandoned. And they made contact and with the person and the matter's all been cleared up. And to bottom, to say the least, the murder investigation, let's face it, it's gone cold. And the attorney for the Gonsalves family stated yesterday that the lead investigator in this uh, probe is a, uh, a former Army veteran. He's 32 years old. He's 32 years old. And he joined um, the law enforcement community two years ago. The Gonsalves family attorney has stated that the man in charge, a guy by the name of Brett Payne, has been on the force for two years. He's been hired in 2020 as a rookie. Um, and so he has two years of experience, which is not exactly instilling a whole lot of trust and confidence. Now, let's face it, the guy that may be the, quote, lead investigator. Listen, they've got 60 some odd uh, FBI agents, state police. He may be the lead, but he's not in charge. And I truly believe the police are working diligently. They've got 62 people, I mean, almost 100 agents, 62 federal agents, state police, and as well as full-time police officers 
there in Moscow uh, working on this case. If they had something, they want to solve this case just as quickly as everyone else does. They just have nothing to go on, which as we talked about on the live last night is, wow, is this person some sort of expert or are they just super lucky to go in and you know, slay four people and get out with not a single piece of physical evidence tying them back to an individual? Interesting, interesting, interesting. Well, what's also interesting is yesterday, investigators returned to the house where these uh, four college students were uh, stabbed to death because they say they went back to collect more evidence in an ongoing investigation, which I think is a little weird because as you recall, the investigators had turned the house back over to the landlord. So their crime scene people were in the residence for about 20 minutes uh, yesterday. They continued to in their investigation in regards to the death of uh, obviously Kayla Gonsalves, Madison Mogan, Zaner Kernoble, and Etha Chapin for the murders that go back to November 13th. We'll continue to follow that. Hopefully something will break here sooner rather than later. Next on the docket, Alex Murdoch gets life. I guess that's a gift. I mean, he's only accused of killing his wife and son. What kind of aggravating circumstances could that possibly be to warrant the death penalty? Well, South Carolina, uh, the attorney general's office has decided that they will not seek to put accused murderer and disgraced attorney Alec Murdoch to death there in uh, South Carolina. The statement says, after carefully reviewing this case and all the surrounding facts, we have decided to seek life without parole for Alex Murdoch. And that's from the South Carolina attorney general, Alan Wilson. Because this is a pending case, they would not comment further statement. Now, the defense attorneys responded saying, that's great that the state is not going to pursue the capital case against Mr. Murdoch uh, regarding the death of, like I said, his wife and son. But basically, the defense said it wouldn't warrant the death penalty anyway. And they said, quote, we're not surprised, but also welcome the decision to not seek the death penalty for Mr. Murdoch. Not a little graciousness there at all. Of course not. Doesn't warrant it anyway. I love it. I mean, I love it. It's good attorney work. It's going on. Nothing. It's good. I can't, I'm telling you, this trial is going to be so good. We've got experienced prosecutors. We've got experienced uh, defense attorney. And if a jury likes these defense attorneys, I'm telling you, this could be a knockdown, drag out fight. I think in my mind, I know what's going to happen. Probably most of us believe what's going to happen. But just like, you know, football on Sundays, there's a reason why you play the game because you never know what's going to happen. Next on the docket, Scott Peterson gets life, but that's not exactly what he was looking for. So Scott Peterson is going to remain behind bars for the rest of his life after his request for a new trial on the grounds that his conviction was compromised by a biased juror was tossed out. Now, as you may recall, he was convicted way back in 2004, and Judge Ann Christine Masulo ruled that the juror in question acted not out of wrongdoing, but out of emotion brought on by the proceeding. So if that's not misconduct, what is it? Anyway, Peterson's attorney called the ruling disappointing, which attorneys always do, which behind the scenes are saying this is the most ridiculous thing that's ever happened. I can't believe this. But anyway... We got in to say, oh, we're, really, we're very disappointed. So just in the last few months, um, we've obviously heard new information that will prove Mr. Scott Peterson did not murder his wife, Lacey, 
and they are going to continue to push forward until he is a free man. Now, as for the ruling, the judge does concede that juror number seven committed misconduct, but excuses that misconduct by writing that her background, her contentious relationship with her boyfriend, and her frequent memory lapses are all excuses for her misconduct. Needless to say, the defense disagrees. Attorneys for Mr. Peterson said the juror, a woman by the name of Rochelle Nice, was actively biased against Mr. Peterson, lied on her juror questionnaire to gain access to being a juror on the trial. And the prosecution, however, argued that she had merely made errors answering some of the 163 questions on the 23-page document. Remember, this happened in the Ghislaine Maxwell case as well, and everybody just dismissed it, poo-pooed it, oh, no big deal. Really? You're a juror on a homicide case. Let's face it, for most people, this is the most exciting event that's ever taken place in your life. And you didn't answer it truthfully. You didn't take the time to go through and make sure your answers are correct. And oh, by the way, they ask you under oath to fill this stuff out. Your answers are under oath, under the pains and penalties of perjury. So the prosecution said, hey, she's inconsistent on her answers. So what? But being wrong doesn't necessarily make it false or make her a liar. It just might be that she's having really bad time filling out some forms. Nice said that she had no bias against Mr. Peterson until she heard the evidence against him at trial. And then she convicted him. For those who aren't familiar with this case, because a lot of our viewers are young. But Lacey Peterson disappeared at age 27 on Christmas Eve back in 2002 when she was eight months pregnant with the couple's son and they had been married for a whole five years. And uh, days after Lacey vanished, her mutilated body washed up on the shore of the San Francisco Bay. Prosecutors alleged that uh, Peterson wanted uh, to escape married life and did not want the responsibility of becoming a father. So he then killed Lacey and their unborn son. He then dumped the body and that of the baby that she was carrying from his boat. Peterson was initially sentenced to death, but that sentence was overturned back in November of 2020. He still maintains his innocence, and some of his relatives, like his uh, brother's wife, support him to the bitter end. One of his family members said back in November, uh, when his sentence was overturned, we still need justice for Lacey, Connor, and Scott, because he's obviously the victim of this entire thing. I mean, I don't know. The jury has spoken. Anyway, we don't have justice for Lacey and Scott on death row because Scott is innocent. Well... I don't think that's exactly what he's looking for, but I think that's as good as it's going to get. Of course, the defense will appeal that decision and see what the appellate courts uh, say in regards to juror misconduct. It's kind of a pet peeve of mine. Jurors need to be honest. That's the whole process of voir dire. That's the French term that means to speak the truth. How are people supposed to decide if you're a good juror for that particular case, if you're holding information back like the juror in the Scott Peterson case, Miss Nice, what did she say? Oh, I, I just couldn't remember that uh, domestic violence case going on. Oh, bygones. I mean, this case doesn't bring back any of those memories. I can't believe the judge came to the decision she did. She clearly just doesn't want to go back and try the case. So whether he's innocent or guilty, I don't know kind of seems like maybe he didn't get a fair trial, let me know in the comments below. Next, 
Sam Bankman Freed. Let the circus begin from moving it from the Bahamian Islands to the Southern District of New York. That's right, Sam Bankman Freed appeared in court and will now formally be extradited to the United States after he appeared in the Bahamas court this morning. He told the presiding magistrate he's doing quite well. And he officially um, is described as the fugitive in the hearing, uh, but was uh, given clearance to leave the island chain two days after the mix-up the other day. As you may recall, Mr. Sam Bankman-Fried originally thought that he was going to fight extradition, so they set his hearing in February. Then over the weekend, he said, no, 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 I'm gonna waive extradition. They set the court date. His attorney had no idea why they were there. Mr. Sam Bankman-Fried wanted to consult with his U.S. attorneys before he waived extradition. And well, needless to say, they got that all cleared up and now he is going to be on his way back to the United States. Listen, extradition hearings are, I would say 99.9% .9 of the time, they're waived. It's not admitting that you're guilty by waiving extradition. It's just simply saying, I'm the guy that's charged. Most people say, get me back to the state where I'm charged so I can get this matter resolved as quickly as possible. Anyway, the FBI and the United States Marshal Service, which is responsible for the transportation of individuals in the custody of the United States government, apparently has arrived in the Bahamas and is ready to sweep Mr. Sam Bankman freed up. And it's going to be a nice plane, let's face it. But he's going to be handcuffed and shackled while he's in the plane. So it's not going to be like the previous private air travel that he is accustomed to in the past. But that's all right. Now, when Sam Bankman-Fried arrives, uh, he will ultimately be going in front of Judge Ronnie Abrams in the Southern District of New York. Um, he could arrive as early as tonight, stay in custody there, or they could put him up in a hotel. I vote for in custody. This guy should not be given any special treatment. I mean, hell, this guy lost, what, $26 billion of net worth? Why would we trust him to do anything at this point on? Anyway, as a little side note, it's kind of interesting, is that the uh, judge is the sister of the ABC News chief legal affairs correspondent, Dan Abrams. Small world. More than likely, Mr. Sam Bankman-Fried will go to the Metropolitan Detention Center there in Brooklyn that has been known for housing some pretty famous people. That guy named Jeff that lady named Ghislaine, that's right. He could be in the same cell as that guy named Jeff. Just make sure that somebody's watching those cameras because I think it's going to get good. Anyway, Mr. Sam Bankman-Fried has hired uh, Mark Cohen as his uh, defense counsel. He will more than likely be there with Sam Bankman-Fried at the arraignment. There will also be an issue as it relates to detention no doubt in my mind, Sam Bankman-Fried is going to arrive and ask for a bond to be set. I hope the government opposes that request and seeks detention. That will certainly move this case along much faster. And if Sam Bankman-Fried is going to cooperate and help everybody get their money back, not that they ever will, that would be a mitigating circumstance, certainly not a defense, but it would maybe help a little bit if he could explain the mess that he has created. Next on the docket, I know it's the holiday season, but this is our second 
stolen baby Jesus matter. The Fort Worth Police Department posted this surveillance footage. Take a look at this. They say that this guy took off with the centerpiece of the life-size nativity scene Saturday morning that went, that was set up downtown. And sure enough, you can see the dude making a clean getaway with the young Jesus, the young baby Jesus. The unidentified man walks away like he has no concerns in the world. About 2 a.m., picks up the baby doll from the basket and then saunters away like nothing ever happened. Unfortunately for him, we have his face. Somebody's going to tip them off and, I don't know, stealing a baby Jesus? That's just not right in so many ways. Just not right. Anyway, let's hope that there will be justice for baby Jesus. This is our second baby Jesus stolen in the last couple of days. And finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Please meet Jimmy Lee Taylor from Delray Beach, Florida. He has now been convicted of 44 counts of elder abuse and 23 counts of practicing medicine without a license. Now, according to the sheriff's office, the investigation began in 2018 when a victim of Taylor's name, Annette Johnson, contacted the sheriff's office. Investigators and other officials worked to find that Taylor was not a physician at all, anywhere, not licensed in anywhere in the United States, and that he was falsely representing himself to the victims as a specialist in stem cell therapy. No big deal, right? It was uh, later discovered uh, that Taylor would arrive at Johnson's home uh, every two weeks and administer what she believed to be stem cell therapy for cash payments. Investigation revealed that Mr. Taylor was traveling all over the United States to do similar things to receive some cash payments from the victims. The victims were found in California, Illinois, Alabama, Florida. Uh, when law enforcement searched Taylor's home, they found he was in possession of drugs and medical supplies believed to be from Mexico. No report as to whether there was actually any stem cell anything in his little supply of medical gear. Well, needless to say, he has been sentenced to serve 202 years in the Georgia Department of Corrections. 202 years for pretending to be a doctor and injecting people when you're not a doctor with what they believe to be stem cells. That's just dumb. Dumb. So congratulations, sir. You, Mr. Taylor, are our dumb criminal of the day. And just think about it. You've got 202 years to claim your prize and to hold that honor. Congratulations. You made it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's go out there. Let's be safe. Hope you have a great day. Not just a good day, but let's not steal any baby Jesuses from any nativity scenes. All right? I think we can do it. We'll see you next time on Crime Talk. Crime Talk.